0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. One day I am going to write a sci-fi book, and it's going to be about this race that has been enslaved for hundreds of years, and it's going to be about the liberation of this race. I think they're going to be tree people, just because I like tree people and, and different kind of fantasy type things. It's going to be these tree people that have been enslaved for for hundreds and hundreds of years. But as the liberation comes, here's how I want it to end. So you know how it ends, and you'll never need to read it. Okay, the ending's the whole point. It's going to end. They've been liberated. The laws have been changed. Now they're free, and it says they lived happily ever after. Now, that is the American story that we tell. Is that some time back, people who were oppressed for hundreds of years, enslaved for hundreds of years because of the color of their skin, were one day freed and lived happily ever after? Go America. But that's the part that's supposed to be jarring in the story. Because you, you you can't have that ending. You can't just, we changed one law and everything's fine now. Right? Because things would still be messed up. You would still have people in your society who would still be racist. You would still have people in your society who would not want to change. You'd still have people in your society who would still commit lynchings who would still just have these moments of public murder for everyone to come around and watch. And they would still be able to get away with it because though the laws changed from the top, the politicians all around the world would not change, nor would the people underneath them. You can't have the, we changed the law and everyone lived happily ever after. Because that's not the way that the world works. You've seen in your own life all different kinds of laws that get changed throughout time. That doesn't change people. That doesn't change the way that we act. For a long time, people will just keep breaking the laws. And tomorrow is Juneteenth. That's why we're preaching in this direction. Juneteenth is a perfect example. The Emancipation Proclamation is made. Slaves are freed. But everyone in Texas kept it on the down low so that slaves continued to be enslaved for an additional two years because nobody heard that everyone else was out. That's a classic example of how just changing a law does not create a happily ever after situation. Now, this is a free Methodist church, which means many years ago, a guy named John Wesley was in Britain. He had a revival where the Holy Spirit was really showing up, and they built an entire Christian movement of churches around what the Spirit was doing. They were Methodists and they moved into all kinds of issues that their society was facing, and they brought about all different kinds of progressions. But the Methodist church's uh, movements in America had a lot of slaves within it, that Christians uh, did not feel convicted on this issue. And there was a group of Methodists within the Methodist church in America that said, hey, we shouldn't have slaves. Like when we read the Bible, we see that, that... that god liberates all people that whether you're male or female jew or gentile slave or free you're all one person you're all you're all on the same equal ground so what are we doing practicing slavery and have you seen the way in which we practice slavery it's it's pure evil In fact, it's been said uh, by some that it was the Christian slave masters that you needed to be most afraid of because they were the worst of all. Isn't that ridiculous? That if a sin like slavery is still going to exist, why on earth is the church the worst of committing that sin? But that was the case. People recognized that it was the Christian slave masters who were often the worst. And so there were some Methodists that said, this is not okay. we got to stop doing this. We've been making the poor pay to come to church. That needs to stop. But we've also been, we've also been um, not caring about abolition. This is a social justice movement that the church should be on the forefront of, should be at the, the starting lines of. We, it's not okay. we got to stop this. And the Methodist church disagreed. And so a new movement of Methodists rose up, known as Free Methodists. They were free for several reasons that we remember today. One was people would rent pews, so the rich were up front, the poor were like out back or outside of the sanctuary. We wanted it to be free to go to church, so it was free for that. But we also believed in freedom from slavery, and so we pushed that. We also believed, uh, the founder believed in freedom for women in ministry. It took a while for even the Free Methodist Church to catch on to that. But if you want to know more of the biblical precedent for that, I've preached on it in recent weeks. Go to our podcast and you can listen to that, uh, that message there. But as as time moved on, B.T. Roberts and this Free Methodist movement, they all kind of rose up and said, we're going to break off from the Methodist Church for social justice reasons. And look, I'm not for um, church splits, but if there's ever going to be a church split, of all the reasons there should be a church split, it should be because of social justice reasons. That sometimes is is what you recognize as like a remnant. That a prophet begins to speak and says, God is not okay with how you have been oppressing these people, and you need to change. Some people are going to hear it, and they might find themselves at odds with the rest of the church, whereas other people are just going to say, I hear what God's saying. I'm not willing to change that. That will never change, and so they never do. And for people at that time, it would have been like, that's too big of an issue. We're never going to be able to stop that. But there were some that rose up and said, no, we can, because the Spirit can do anything, and so we need to to rise up and do what God's calling us to. And when we look at the world today, we all unanimously know slavery was wrong, should have never happened, and there was a whole lot of great dark evil that happened within the particular brand of American slavery. But that was not the way that people thought for the longest time. We got to this point because people like Free Methodists and other like-minded people said, this is not okay and it needs to end. Now what's ironic about the Free Methodist Church these days um, I've got some acquaintances that I've met. They've created a BT Roberts Facebook page or a, a Twitter and they uh, they just post things that our founder BT. Roberts said throughout history that they have in documents and they'll post it on on his feeds under BT Roberts and it makes Free Methodists so angry sometimes. <laughs> where they're coming and they're yelling at our very founder's words, like, I can't believe he said something like this. And, and it's interesting because the things that he says, they feel very political in today's time. They're like, come on, he would have never said that. I like, no, he did. He was an abolitionist. He, he stood up in these kinds of ways. That even the Free Methodist Church has grown a bit cold on these subjects over time. And when we saw the pandemic happen, the pandemic pushed everybody's problems to the forefront and it accelerated them to an incredible extent so that we could all see our pain. And one of the pains that rose up during the pandemic was black people saying, why don't you agree that our lives matter? Why do we still, after being freed from slavery for all this time, still feel like we don't matter? Why are our lives being taken? Why are our rights being squashed? Why are we treated differently when the cops pull us over? I've had friends tell me, no, 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 we we've, were trained as we grew up, like when a cop pulls you over, you've got to pull out your wallet, you've got to put it on the dashboard so it doesn't look like you're reaching for a gun or anything like that. Things that me as a white person would never have to even think about because they just don't always know who they're gonna to run, to, run into on the other side. I got pulled over on the way back from New York for speeding, sorry, <laughs> and, and I didn't even for a second stop what is this guy gonna think about me. I didn't have to face any of those questions whatsoever. But people of different colors have faced the racial profiling over and over again, and you know what's sad? It's a kind of racial profiling that always brings itself back into American culture over and over and over and over again. If you really want to see this, uh, Erica Lee has a book called America for Americans, and it's a book about xenophobia. It's a book about how um, every time immigrants come in, America targets a specific population that is different, that doesn't feel very American to them, despite the fact that we are very diverse, and says that this particular group is evil for A, B, C, D. And literally any possible thing you can think of, America has targeted to say this is evil and we need to address it. Right now, a lot of times, uh, the things that we focus on because of political conversations has been like uh, Latino immigrants. And there's a lot of staples that are put on them that they're uh, they're just drug lords and things like that. These are the same exact things that we have done decade by decade over every culture throughout all of history. We are racist in America toward anything that does not feel similar, that does not assimilate to us. That includes white people. The Irish, the Italians, the Germans, people who were white skinned, were also went through every kind of racist thing imaginable. Catholics. Uh, Protestants in America just like revolted against Catholics when they came in. Revolted against the Irish when they came in. Like anything that is different. And this is really sad when this happens in church circles because the church is the foundation of diversity. That's what we are built upon. Jesus comes and he reaches all of the remnant of of jerusalem that is left all of the jews all the israelites that are still trying to follow god he reaches all of them that's his mission but as soon as jesus ascends to the father he pours out his holy spirit and they speak in the diversity of every language that's on the earth and then they are sent out to go make disciples of every kind of diversity that there is in the world And those disciples that they're making, it's not just like, don't get to know them very much, just teach them who Jesus is and shove them away. No, these are now your brothers and your sisters. This is now your mother. This is now your father. These are now your children. The church is one united, diverse family that right now, all across the world, in different churches of different countries, of different nations, people are meeting and speaking in their own languages to worship God, and no matter how different their church is, if it is a a firm, believing Christian church, that is your brother and sister, your father and mother, your children. That is your family. This is what the church was built upon. In a time where people did not pursue diversity, The Jews, of all people, were not used to getting in contact with people of of other nations because the other nations had been their oppressors. In fact, the early church kind of did that back to the Jews. They gave the word to the Gentiles, and if you watch the church throughout the first few hundred years, guess what happened? The Gentiles took over and the Jews were kind of on the outskirts of something that was their own movement. That even in the early church, they messed this up after Bible times where the the church became more Gentile than Jewish. But when you look at the book of Acts, you see that God is on a mission to reach everybody. When you go to the end of the Bible, God is being worshipped in every tribe, language, and tongue. When you go to the end of the Bible, in the new creation, when God comes back and makes the world new, and makes us new, and gives us immortal bodies to live forever on the new heaven and new earth, that becomes one unit, When we get to that point, guess what? There's still kings. There are still human beings in charge of nations on the earth. They're just all finally one family, one perfect, glorified, resurrected family. In the new creation, there may still be things that make us different. In the new creation, everyone will not be white. Everyone will not be black. Jesus's bride is a diverse beautiful bride who does not look just like one nation. And so when every time when we put up dividing lines, every time when we don't battle for social justice issues that that God is putting on our hearts. When we do these things, we are ignoring our heritage, we are ignoring the books of Acts. We are ignoring the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who went to Philip and said, there's an Ethiopian not far from here. I want you to go and meet him. I'm trying to reach him. And then an angel showed up to Philip and said, hey, the Ethiopian is this direction. I don't know if you know this, but it's not super typical that when you're doing evangelism, both the Holy Spirit tangibly tells you where to go and an angel shows up to make sure you're on the right track. And then... Philip shows up to the Ethiopian who just happens to be reading the Bible. And he's like, I can't figure this out. (laughs) And Philip's like, yeah, 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 let me explain it to you. This is why I'm here. For us, an Ethiopian is just like someone in the book of Acts. But for Bible times, this might have been a very ambiguous character. First off, is he Jewish? Like, is he an Ethiopian who wants to become Jewish? Because he's reading... Jewish scripture? Or say just an Ethiopian who has happened to come across scripture and is reading it intrigued? Now he's a eunuch, which means he probably works for royalty. So that means he could be a slave. He could be at the bottom of of, uh, um, the social ladder where he is. Or he could be a slave that's at the top of the social ladder because he's been sent out to do some work so maybe he's persecuted, maybe he's at the top, maybe he's enslaved, maybe he's kind of almost royalty, ambiguous, hard to tell. And then on top of that, if you don't know, like in ancient culture, if you're a eunuch and you've been castrated, that has effects on um, just kind of like your your body, the way that looks. Uh, the eunuchs were known as effeminate or almost like ungendered. So there's confusions of sexuality, there's ambiguity of sexuality, there's ambiguity of social class, there's ambiguity of religion, there's ambiguity of race. And and someone has made the proposal, maybe that's why in the book of Acts, both the spirit and an angel sends Philip specifically to someone who is so ambiguous that we don't know the answers. Because this might just be God saying like, yes, I'm sending you to everyone. Put down all of your walls. Don't build them up. Put down all of your walls and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what if they're this? Ambiguous. Love them. What if they're this? It's ambiguous. You just love them. What if they're this? It's ambiguous. Get them saved. What if they're this? An angel sending you to them. What if they're this? The Spirit has put them on your heart. And so when we get caught up in culture that teaches us to hate, when we get caught up in social injustice, or just injustice, if you want to use that word, because that's just the way that society goes, we have to recognize that the Bible's calling us out of that. The book of Revelation is is often very severe. Have nothing to do with Babylon. I am judging Babylon. Babylon is fallen And will fall. There's God who was and is and is to come, and then there's the satanic Babylon that is but will not be. And if we live like Babylon, we will be judged with Babylon. The Bible almost seems to use kind of graphic imagery when it says, Come out of her, come out of Babylon. When we conform our minds to that, we enslave people. It's been happening since the very beginning of time. It's in the earliest pages of your Bible. When we conform our minds to Babylon, we enslave, and we don't think about it. In another hundred years, what are our children going to look back at us and say, I can't believe you did that. Your entire society did that. I can't believe you guys. What was wrong with you? We have a chance to get ahead of that right now by letting the Spirit prick at our hearts and say, have you noticed injustice here? Do you want to change? Because the younger generation, they care. They are watching. They see our injustices. And the rest of the world, they're watching. They've been watching the church for a long time. Part of the reason that they don't go to church because they watch the way we behave when we face injustice. We talk a big game about Jesus. When it comes to employing his tactics, we tell the world to shut up. We don't need to to go do that. Jesus loves us. We're saved. Who cares about that? Jesus does. That was the job of the prophets. And that's why Reveal this year is so important to me, because on one side we're trying to teach you the prophetic, the spiritual gift and how it works, But on the other side, we're trying to teach you that when God speaks prophetically, he often throughout the entire Bible speaks on issues of justice. And if you want to hear God's voice, then you are going to have to combat injustice. If you want to hear God's voice, then you are going to have to combat injustice. And you may be the only one sometimes. When God puts a burning on your heart, you got to follow it. When there is conviction, you need to feel it. And when we have that burning and we have that conviction and we don't, we do heap judgment on ourselves. So the day is coming where all things are exposed, and he'll look at us and say, I told you to deal with this. Generations before you were not aware that this was wrong, but I told you it was. I'm holding you to account. Did you do it? And we want our answer to be yes. So I encourage you, as you hear of all different kinds of justice issues that come up throughout the upcoming years, soften your heart. Don't let your first response to be, be to tell someone to shut up. You know, as we look right now specifically at Juneteenth, start there. Take the holiday that's already here and say, we did injustice then and we're still doing injustice now. Because we think that because we created freedom in the laws, therefore everyone is equal and everybody's lives are just fine. Whereas a person might be on paper equal, there's a different word called equity. There's a difference between equality and equity. People of all different races throughout America may be equal on paper, but equity recognizes that we are not in the same place. So I do not give a child, an adult, a man, and a woman all the exact same bike. That would be equality, right? Everyone got the same exact thing. That didn't help. The child did not need the parent's bike, the adult-sized bike. The woman needed a female bike, the man needed a male bike, and the adults needed an adult bike. That's equity. It's recognizing that the way in which we need to reach people is based on what they have faced, and we need to serve them in ways that are helpful to them. So, keep your eyes open, keep your minds open. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you, because justice is a person. It is not a book of laws. Is an immortal, resurrected person. And he has opinions on both our injustices and our justice. And such issues like that will reap reward or judgment. So, God, we come before you right now recognizing that um, there's plenty of of judgment uh, just on our our own country for the sins that we've committed. And I've had people come to me before and say, Jamin, This is not my fault. These are not my sins. These are the sins of people before me, and I will not be held accountable for it. But God, when we look at your word, you hold nations accountable all the time. You held Israel accountable all the time. It didn't matter that um, future Israel uh, did not commit the sins of, of previous Israel. You recognized Israel with the collective sins of their corporate nations. And so, yes, we come to church right now, recognizing we have our own history, our own narrative, uh, sins that have been thrust on us just from the places that we've grown up in. But we don't have to stay there. We can come out of that. So right now, would you teach us to put racism away and create equity? Would you teach us uh, to put xenophobia away and create equity? Would you teach us to step into the ambiguity of this world that when we meet someone that doesn't line up with the way that, that we think or we meet someone that, that doesn't line up and we think to ourselves, is this still a person I'm supposed to reach? May the answer just be yes. And if we're still confused as you reach them, as to how to step into their lives and say, okay, now there are some things here that we need you to, to chisel out of your life if you're going to follow Jesus. May we also have the, the strength to just say, God is in charge of your life, and uh, we're going to expect that he's going to bring conviction as we walk patiently and lovingly alongside you. God, please forgive us of our sins. We repent. We lay our lives down. May Christians be known for their audacity to step out against injustice and their love for their enemies. And as you said, Jesus, may we be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Like Martin Luther, who was wise in the way that he, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who was wise in the way that he He brought to the attention of America through the media the kind of persecution that was happening but remained innocent in the way in which he was doing it by loving his enemies saying we're going to love you so well that you're going to join our cause that even when you bomb our houses we're going to choose to love you nonetheless. God, may we be like that. That when the oppressed can show us how much they've loved us, may May we soften our hearts, whether we're oppressed or oppressor, that we might love those around us. We give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.